You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon, reporting remotely for WFHB. This is Don Guerra. And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. Later in the program, WFHB News speaks with Kim Fisher, Vice President of Communication for Waterford.org, to discuss an early education program that helps four-year-old children prepare for school at home and at no cost. More in the bottom half of our program. And now, your daily headlines. At the September 17th COVID-19 press conference, Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Cottle made known that the testing clinic will open on September 21st. According to Cottle, the clinic is the result of a partnership between the Indiana Department of Health and Gravity Diagnostics. It is planned to open on Tuesday, September 21st. They will run initially Tuesday through Saturday from 8 to 4. It will be a drive-through to begin with, and they will be offering PCR testing with results back by 5 p.m. the following day. And the location will be at 500 North Profile Parkway. So that is where we had the previous drive-through at the beginning of the month, I think it was. Um, It's Cook property, and we thank them for uh, working with diagnostics Uh, gravity to uh, make this happen. Cottle also reported that Monroe County is now in the orange advisory category. In terms of our advisory, and this is sort of the bad news, we had been holding steady at the yellow advisory. Uh, That changed this week. We went to orange, uh, 200 cases per 100,000 and a percent positivity of 5.14%. Now, we just We almost stayed in yellow. Um, 199 per 100,000 would have kept us in yellow. And so that was heartbreaking. But the reality is either way, we have a high level of transmission. And that's really the takeaway. I wish that I could tell you that I expect things to improve next week. But when I look at the numbers and we had almost 70 cases uh, documented today, I don't anticipate that our numbers are going to be less next week. Co-chair of Indiana University Bloomington's COVID Response Unit, Kirk White, shared that Indiana University Bloomington reported 79 positive cases this past week out of over 600 symptomatic tests administered. We continue to see a lot of our our students who are coming to the Student Health Center with uh, symptoms uh, that may be COVID-related. And they're, they're checking those out. Uh, last week, we did uh, uh, over 600 symptomatic tests at the Student Health Center, but still had a very low positivity rate, which is very encouraging on a couple of fronts. One, the COVID's low, low rate of, of positives, but also it shows that our students are being very vigilant about making sure that if they have any, any symptoms, that they're getting them checked out. And uh, that allows uh, them to know for sure whether they uh, have COVID or not and whether they need to be uh, isolating and, uh, and talking to their uh, close contacts. 
Journalist Dave Askins questioned Cottle on whether or not the increase in positive cases has been linked to the IU football games. Uh, there certainly is a concern that, you know, numbers dropped a little bit and then came back up um, across the state because of Labor Day um, activities and lack of testing over the holiday weekend. So that some of the tests um, may have been kind of scattered over time um, had we not had kind of a lull for the weekend and, and testing a little bit more difficult. We haven't had anything reported directly with the game. And keep in mind that we, you know, the consensus is really outdoor activities uh, are certainly much safer and math, you know, I know that masks aren't being worn outdoors, but even when it comes to distancing, masks are more important than distancing, for instance, when we're indoors. Um, so I don't have an answer for you. I guess the short answer is um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I will tell you that we are seeing cases still across all age groups, all areas of the county. So these are not just they are definitely not just students. And as I just heard, IU's numbers are really very small in the scheme of things. The next COVID-19 press conference will be held on September 24th. The Monroe County Board of Commissioners discussed purchasing land on Hunter Valley Road to develop a tourist destination during its September 15th meeting. County Attorney Jeff Cockrell presented the purchase agreements. What we have in front of you are two different purchase agreements. One is for um, what we've considered to be Hunter Valley 2. These are both kind of in just the northwest of the I-69-46 interchange. Um, it, they are owned by uh, Mrs. Francis, and uh, that is the purchase price is $175,000. The, the reason it's not detailed out as a specific number in the agenda request is because um, a couple of different things. One is we've, uh, in this these agreements, we uh, are going to cover the closing costs for this. Um, plus, uh, we have agreed to cover the 20, pay 22 um, real estate taxes on those. So don't really know what all the, those numbers are, but the base price for that one is $175,000. Um, the other one is what we've I think referred to as Hunter Valley 2, which is owned by the Yates Trust. Um, the purchase price on that is $195,000. And again, we, we've made those same uh, uh, cl covering the closing costs and uh, paying next year's taxes um, part of that agreement as well. Um, so those are the kind of the two properties. If you haven't, uh, there, there are some different language for environmental conditions. Um, than we've had in the past, and that's based upon our own explorations and study of the of the of the property. So we we feel that we've got a pretty good handle on what's there. Um, there is requirements that they can't do anything between now and when we close. Uh, closing date on those are both going to be by the end of October. Commissioner Lee Jones commented on public health studies that were conducted due to low levels of PCB contamination in the area. She mentioned she's glad that the county is taking ownership of the land. Commissioner Julie Thomas said she remains optimistic about the future of the location. Yeah, it's beautiful property. Um, and this is really something that should be in the hands of um, Monroe County government. And I really look forward to seeing where 
we go with this next and what we can make out of this. Um, it has been a lot of years, as uh, Commissioner Jones said. Um, I feel like this has been on the front burner and back burner for a very long time. And uh, it's very exciting just to have this progress. So um, really great work. And, and thank you, uh, Mr. Copper, for um, getting us here because it took um, a great deal of work to, to get to this point. Um, so thank you for all of that hard work. The motion for the purchase agreements on Hunter Valley Road was approved 3 to 0. At the Bloomington Environmental Commission's September 16th meeting, Commissioner Don Gorney spoke on behalf of the Monroe County Identify and Reduce Invasive Species Coalition to update the commissioners on the native plant sale. Gorney shared that the sale was largely successful. And it's going to be very important because the money from this is largely going to be used to help support uh, those that cannot uh, afford to remove uh, calorie pair from their property. Uh, and um, any amount of money that can subsidize uh, on a needs-based um, uh, would help because calorie pear is one of the really dangerous invasive plants. So mission accomplished. Commission member Ben Sheriff gave an Eco Heroes art contest update on the financial status for the award prizes, which were sponsored by local businesses. Yeah, Eco Heroes should be coming to a complete close, hopefully by the end of the next week when everyone picks up um, their gifts. Uh, we're, we'll have lots of money for the next time we do Eco Heroes businesses, we're super generous this year. Um, I think Linda said we have over $1,000. Um, and normally she said we get like $500 a, a year. So um, that's really great and pretty exciting. Um, we'll be able to reinvest into next year and make it even bigger. I mean, obviously with COVID, it was pretty small this year, but um, hopefully in the future, it'll be even bigger than in years past. The Eco Heroes Award Ceremony was held on September 18th. The Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees discussed their 2022 budget at the September 15th meeting. Finance Manager Gary Ledelier introduced the budget and highlighted the library's main goals moving forward. The financial plan for 2022 looks forward to continued support from the for community services, programs, and overall stewardship of the library's facilities. Along with significant investment in the Southwest branch, as planning and preparation for opening day services will be carried out, the budget plan will provide support to meet these critical strategic goals. Provide free and equitable access to information, materials, and services support reading, lifelong learning, technological literacy, and other essential life skills. Director of the Monroe County Public Library, Marilyn Wood, gave an update as to how the library has been doing after returning to in-person programming. 
Um, the uh, use of the library continues to grow. Uh, the visits are about half what we used to see, but circulation is almost the same. It's not the same in terms of physical versus E. E's a lot is still higher uh, than than physical, but it's it's creeping up there and it's getting very close. Uh, we're still seeing new people. We saw almost a thousand people that were unique users of the new unique users for the year. Uh, so new people are still coming in that may be students and others, but we're seeing uh, people we haven't seen in the past. And we're at this point we're doing, uh, this is September, so it's get your library card month. So we've, um, you may have seen in the mail, uh, the, 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 we sent a mailing to all Monroe County households. Uh, to get to invite people to get a card and to learn all about the things that they can do if they have that card. So we're hopeful and we've seen um, a lot of new cards being issued um, in the last few weeks. The next meeting will be held on October 13th. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Kim Fisher, Vice President of Communication for Waterford.org, to discuss an early education program that helps four-year-old children prepare for school at home and at no cost. We turn to Cade Young for that interview. Kim Fisher, Vice President of Communication for Waterford.org. Welcome to the WFHB Local News. Thanks for having me. So first of all, would you walk me through the mission of Waterford.org? Absolutely. Waterford.org is an education nonprofit, and our goal is universal literacy, and we try to achieve that through providing equity, access, and family empowerment. It's really important to get the families involved in the work that's being done. And so we either work in the classroom alongside teachers, um, or we do the Waterford Upstart program, which is what we're talking about, and that's done in the home with families. Now you have an at-home early education program available to families across Indiana. So tell me about Waterford Upstart and what it's trying to accomplish for Indiana's youngsters. Yeah, so Waterford Upstart is a really wonderful program that gets parents involved in the process of getting a child ready for kindergarten. So it's done in the year before kindergarten. So right now we're looking to enroll children who will begin kindergarten in 2022. And so the way the program works in Indiana is that we provide our program to children. They use it 30 minutes a day, five days a week. It includes literacy, math, and science. And so the children get all three of those things five days a week. But then this is the most important part. If you ask me about our program, we get the parents involved too. And so families get a coach. 
that will walk them through the process, answer any questions, call and check in on the families to make sure that, you know, things are going well. Um, and then they also get push notifications three times a week. On Mondays, they, they get a push notification letting them know how their child did the week before. Wednesdays, they get a push notification letting them know exactly what their child is learning in that moment and how they can work with them offline. And that's crucially important. And then on Fridays, they get a social emotional message to give them a, a topic socially and emotionally that they can talk about with their children. Um, they're, they're, they're typical things that all families should be talking about, but maybe they just don't think about talking about. And so, you know, by the end of this program, children began right around now and they go all the way through May where we have a fun little graduation for the kiddos and, and celebrate their success. Um, but throughout all of that, the idea is to set this foundation of literacy and get these children prepared so that they walk into kindergarten ready. And the average Waterford Upstart graduate will walk into kindergarten reading at a nearly first grade level. Now, you're providing a computer and internet at no cost for Waterford Upstart. So would you touch on this conundrum of wanting kids to stay off devices, but the reality of learning today being on those very devices. So what's your rationale for teaching young children how to use technology in a productive way? Right. So that is the most important thing, that last part that you just said, in a productive way. It is impossible in our world right now to completely avoid technology. So the important thing to do is to make sure children understand how to use technology in the right way and in a responsible way. And so that's why we limit our program to 30 minutes a day in the state of Indiana, uh, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, an hour of day of, of technology a day is exactly um, what they suggest. So we come in under that amount. But again, what we find is that the children who don't have access to technology they are the ones that suffer when they get into school, and the very first test that they take is on a computer, yet they don't know how to use one. And so it's important for children to understand how to use that computer and to feel confident on it. And so, again, what we do is education through our program. It's not that mindless, numbing screen time, which, you know, again, the American Academy of Pediatrics has said, educational screen time does not count as screen time. Um, but all that to be said, we do believe in limiting screen time. And so um, it, it's all about doing it in the most responsible way that's going to help the child and help the family. And so as you had mentioned, we do provide a computer and internet access at no cost to the families that need it. Because in the state of Indiana, we are looking to reach families that are at 127% of the poverty line and below. And so that's basically a, a, a family of four that's making around $35,000 a year. And so these are the families that will possibly need access to a computer, possibly need access to the Internet. So we want to make sure that those families have all the tools they need. The pandemic has shown us a lot about ourselves in ways both good and bad. However, one of the lessons we've learned deals with remote learning, which has been a necessity throughout covid so how do you create an engaging, interactive learning experience for these young children? Sure. For young kids, there's only one thing you need. You need it to be fun and you need it to be engaging. They are not going to do it if they are not having fun. And so our program really, uh, it, it makes a game of the learning that they are going through. Uh, and so they, they feel like it's, it's 
time. And because our program is adaptive, it figures out when a child is getting some of the questions incorrect and then refocuses on that same topic again until the child reaches mastery and moves on. And so they're constantly getting these fun games, but they're learning at the same time. And then what I think is probably the most important part of the software are the songs. Uh, the families are, are, you know, will walk around the house singing the songs together uh, because it, they're fun and engaging. And again, children learn through songs. So it's a little bit of all of that. They, they get the, the, the questions, the games, but also the songs. Um, and then we also work in social emotional engagement in there. You know, we have um, our, our little characters, you know, they're, they're, uh, squirrels and, and raccoons and you know they have personalities and and disagreements with siblings and and it walks children through the process of how to deal with those emotions so you know it's it's really kind of you have to make sure that whatever you're doing when it comes to online learning it has to be fun for this age group the goal of this initiative is to provide four-year-olds with a year of kindergarten before they actually start school so three to five-year-olds are certainly in their developmental years and are still being shaped by the world around them. So why do you think it's important for these young children to get a head start a year before they actually start kindergarten? Oh, there are so many reasons. Let's start off with zero to five. A child from the ages of zero to five, their brain will develop at least 85%. So they are just sponges for learning at that moment in time. So that's why it's really great to start during these years. But aside from that, the reason our program it, it makes a difference is that you will have children that um, have all of the resources in the world. They may be going to Montessori school, you know, a, a really great pre-K, uh, parents as teachers. And so they are prepared. They are learning all of these things at home. When they walk into kindergarten, they're going to be ready to go. It's the children that don't have access to those types of early learning situations, they will walk into school immediately behind. And research shows that if a child starts behind, they are likely to stay behind. And if a child is not reading at grade level by third grade, it will be nearly impossible for them to catch up. And so it's important to find these children who don't have access to that early learning and give them some form of access to prepare them. Because one of the most important things a child can walk into school with is confidence. And when they walk in and a teacher asks a question and they know how to answer it, they get that confidence immediately. And when the children recognize that they are behind their peers, they feel that, that they will start to lack that confidence. And we just really want to avoid that. So there are so many reasons to really want to get a child prepared for school early. Um, and those are just a few. This program is targeting Indiana's some of our most rural children, right? In 2018, the Federal Communications Commission, or the FCC, estimated that one quarter of rural Americans and one third of Americans living on tribal lands did not have access to broadband internet. So would you touch on how your program tries to, at least partly, close that gap? Sure. So the reason our program was created nearly 13 years ago was to reach rural students who didn't have access to brick and mortar. And so we've actually gotten several uh, federal grants to, to prove that our program 
uh, works for these families. So it started in the state of Utah, in the rural areas of Utah, um, and, and the results from that program were so positive, it led to yet another federal grant um, that we are doing right now in five western states to, again, provide our program to the most rural areas. So it is incredibly important for us to provide internet access to these families for exactly the reason that you just said. There are very many rural families that don't have that access. And so when it comes to offering internet, we try to find whatever internet access is going to work best for those families. Um, for example, in Navajo Nation in Southern Utah, we know that Navajo Nation has a very hard time receiving internet access the typical ways that families would in, in a city. And so we start off by providing a hotspot, a Verizon hotspot. If that one doesn't work, we switch to AT&T, we switch to T-Mobile, we contact whatever local provider is there. We work hard to try to find whatever internet access is gonna work best for these families, and we don't stop until we find a solution. Now, let's talk funding of the program. So in Indiana, you've partnered with the Indiana Family and Social Services Administration to provide this program to the most rural Indiana families. Would you touch on that partnership and maybe other ways Waterford.org is funded? Absolutely. So we partnered with FSSA and the state legislature three years ago to begin our program in the most rural areas of the state. Um, and of course, we're also looking for those families that are at 127% of the poverty line and below. The idea was to fill the gaps where families did not have access to On My Way pre-K. And so we have worked very hard to find those families, which can be incredibly difficult because these are, as, as we mentioned, the most rural families. And so, you know, we work to partner with nonprofit organizations, um, you know, federal agencies that are providing services like, you know, WIC. Um, we work with churches, uh, you know, donation centers, any place we can go to try to find these families, we will. Now, last year, due to COVID, things changed a little in the state of Indiana. We initially were only serving certain counties in the most rural areas. Well, because of COVID and because there were so many families who did not have access to On My Way Pre-K, even if there was one, you know, within a few miles of the home, um, the state legislature decided to allow our program to reach any family in the state um, that didn't have access to On My Way Pre-K, whether it was because of transportation or work schedule. And so any family in the state can utilize our program as long as they are at 127% of the poverty line and below, and they cannot, for whatever reason, access On My Way Pre-K. Absolutely. Now, Kim, is there anything else you would like to add before we sign off? I think the most important thing is to let parents know early education is vitally important. And it's something that a lot of families just don't think about because it's done before a child ever enters school. However, if a child doesn't have that foundation, um, they're going to start behind and very likely stay behind. And that's exactly what we are looking to avoid. And so I would just encourage families to hop online, check out the program, register your child. It takes no time at all during the day, just 30 minutes, but it allows you to get so involved in what your child is learning. And it is so exciting to watch them set that foundation of literacy and start to read. So just, I would,
would encourage families to, to look for some form of early education program, even if it's not us. Just make sure your child is setting that foundation prior to entering kindergarten. Well, Kim Fisher, Vice President of Communication for Waterford.org, thank you for speaking with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for helping us spread the word. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. And I'm Don Guerra. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 